You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hot, hot, hike! All right, welcome back, Making Monsters. I'm Taylor Dahl. That's Dylan Ryan, and we are here for another victory podcast. We won. <laughs> um, we won, and the Bears are now two and one. It was not the prettiest of wins on the passing side of the game, um, but to me, everything else looked pretty good. Um, the offensive line looked pretty good. The run game looked great. Um, the defense looked good. We had turnovers. We didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Davis Mills, but enough to force some of his bad throws to happen, including the one with Roquan at the end. Roquan was all over the field. And um, so it wasn't beautiful, especially when you want somebody to throw the ball. But it, it's a win. It's a win in the win column. And uh, the Bears are... Two and one, along with the Vikings and the Packers. I mean, the craziest part about it is there's a really good chance that we're going to be uh, three and one yeah. after this weekend. Because we're playing the Giants. And yeah. The Giants are very, I think, much in similar spots where like their record doesn't necessarily reflect how good they are. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're good as your record says you are. So. Yeah. And I mean, we'll get to that game a little bit later. But this, our podcast this week is about the monster. Uh, our Making Monsters podcast is about the guy that shined in the game. It was a tough choice. It probably, was. Honestly, probably the toughest choice we've had. Honestly. Every other week we've been like, well, this is it because this is what happened. You know, like this was the one person who really excelled. But this week we could have gone two ways. We could have gone Roquan Smith or we could have gone Khalil Herbert. And for me, we kind of went back and forth. And I was like, let's go Khalil because yeah. we've already had two defensive guys. We've had two defensive ends back-to-back weeks. And I was like, I want to talk about the offense a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the run game has been one of the things that has shined through the season, first, through the first three games, and as we should expect. Because, I mean, I, it's funny to me that people are, like, acting shocked that the the passing game, granted, I don't think they, it, they expected, nobody expected it to be this bad, but nobody should have expected this passing game to be good, especially within mm-hmm. the first three weeks, honestly. Like, you knew we had no great wide receivers outside of Darnell Mooney. And Darnell Mooney hasn't, I don't know what's going on, but he hasn't found it yet this season. Cole Komet finally had a couple catches. I think we saw 60 yards or something. So I think it was like three catches, 60 yeah. yards. So um, so he's there. We're starting to, we found him a little bit, but it, there's not any big names on this in the receiving core. These guys, Byron Pringle, who also got hurt. He caught one ball and then got hurt. He's on IR now. Byron Pringle... And uh, Equinemia St. Brown, I think on any other roster in the league, would be threes. Yeah, for sure. And we're using them as twos and ones, potentially. Uh, So, shouldn't be surprised at that. Shouldn't be surprised also because 
uh, Eberflus told us it was going to be a run-heavy offense. So if the run is working, go for it. I mean, honestly, I know we want to see some passing yards. We want to see more than 100 yards passing and throwing the ball, you know, a little more. But there's obviously something that they're seeing that they're not quite comfortable with, and they're comfortable with the run, and it's working right now. So Bayless hopefully coming back and Nikhil Harry coming back sparks something in the offense. But until then, you have guys like Montgomery and Cleo Herbert. And so Cleo Herbert is our monster this week. Cleo Herbert uh, went off. He had an incredible game, and I will say right now that we would not have won this football game without Khalil Herbert. Yeah, I mean, it's very clearly there was two guys. It was yeah. Roquan and it was Khalil, and those are the guys that won us this game. And it was, they played outstanding. Yeah. Everywhere else, there was kind of, you know, some ups and downs. Justin Fields, he had a really not great A lot game. of downs, yeah. Uh, there were two interceptions. I mean, probably the worst game of his career, though, Honestly. I would say. And, like, going back to what you were saying, like, we only threw the ball 17 times this game. Mm-hmm. I am definitely not as frustrated about that as I was the previous weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that being is just we were so successful with the run, mm. and, like, Justin was just really bad. Yeah. I mean, like, the first pick was not good, and then mm-hmm. he pretty much did the same thing again. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So I definitely still have a certain level of worry, I would say, with him. Mm-hmm. I still am sold, you know, in terms of I think he's the guy and all of that. And I was talking to some people around the station here today where it's just like, yeah, like Trevor Lawrence, you know, we're Jacksonville. They're all big Jacks people. There's like Trevor Lawrence last year. Threw a ton of picks, did not look good. Yeah. So far this year, he's gotten some weapons, gotten some protection, looked a lot better. Yeah. So I do think it's going to be a continuing continuation of a lot of tough performances in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's still going to be some, or I hope that there's going to be some signs of positivity where you're going to take away like, hey, like maybe this he had a couple good. bad weeks, but, yeah. you know, something bounced around. Because like at the end of the day, like, I do think this team has a lot of good pieces, but like, we are not title contenders unless Justin Fields ends up being good. And, like, I love Khalil Herbert, but, mm-hmm. like, he is not going to be the guy that carries there. You yeah. know, so, like, we got to have him working. And uh, according to PFF, the Bears have the second worst receiving core in the league. Yeah. So, you shouldn't expect outcome out of this. And I, as you were just talking about Trevor Lawrence, I watched and covered Trevor Lawrence all last season. And there were moments where people were like, oh, God. Yeah. Like, what? He's regressing. This is bad. He's overthrowing everybody. He's underthrowing everybody. He can't find an open receiver. And... They made excuses for him, though, because there was a lot of drop passes. He, You know, the receivers were not very good. Urban Meyer. Yeah, it was, a, <laughs> you know, the coaching. Uh, coaching was a big part of it. But to me, Trevor Lawrence, all I heard was all offseason last year was that he was the most ready NFL quarterback. And he did not look ready last year. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is seven games ahead of Justin Fields because Trevor Lawrence got to play an entire season last year. And in addition to that, like I just said, they said he was the most ready to play the NFL. We mm-hmm. already knew Justin Fields coming out of college. They said he was not ready to be great yet in the NFL, but he could get there. And so I think we're still at that getting there part. And on top of that, you don't he doesn't have anybody to throw to. We can talk about that again. Um, he's learning a new scheme. He's learning a new playbook. He has more new coaches, a defensive-minded head coach also. So a lot of this is on Luke Getze and the QB coach. So there's just a lot of factors, I think, that are going into this. If – so that's why I'm not freaking out yet yeah. is because I watched Trevor Lawrence in week 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 last year throw one touchdown and seven interceptions. Didn't he, didn't he have a couple games where he threw like three picks? Like he was not good last no, year. No, and so, that's yeah. during that stretch, and that's where I'm comparing is because Justin Fields right now just played his 11th, 12th, and 13th game started, his starting game in the NFL. During that stretch of time for Trevor Lawrence, he looked terrible. I was at the Titans game where he threw, I think it was four interceptions. He scored zero points. 
And it was the most miserable I've ever seen a quarterback look. He could not hit a person. He was throwing 10 yards past every wide receiver. Um, and a lot of it is because guys like Justin and Trevor want to make things happen so badly. Mm-hmm. And I think those two picks from Justin this last week were that. Like, Justin just wanted to find something because he's like, I need a big play I'm here. I'm really frustrated. Yeah. And I, I think that – and I'm not discrediting – that it's on Justin too because it's time to figure some things out. You cannot throw the same exact interception and in twice in one game. You just can't do that. Yeah. I don't picks are going to happen here and there. I get that. But you have got to take the step up and I don't know like he kind of looks a little rattled to me. He doesn't look like he's completely comfortable. And yeah. I don't know why. I mean, the, you can the look line's at him giving him around. time. Yeah. The like last year I made the excuse because he was just like literally in like one second getting hit. That excuse isn't there this year. Um, and I get it, like you don't have the best starting weapons, but the other, I think the one that they ranked worse than the Bears was the Giants, actually. Yeah. Which is kind of wild because they have Kenny Galladay. Who I think, honestly, it seems like the Bears, I mean, like they're definitely making a call. Him. They yeah. were interested in him in uh, free agency when he was a free agent. That was a previous regime, mm-hmm. so you don't know how Pulse was about I don't know it. if I want to touch it. Injury issues, he hasn't played a full season in three years. Um I don't for, think I want to. I mean, for me, I, it's maybe just, they're like it will be like a seventh round pick. Yeah, that, for okay. me, for me, I saw like I mean, like, he's not even playing for them right now. So like, I I think at this point they will take whatever they can get. Yeah, and I think like he's from around Chicago. He's mm-hmm. had kind of a couple of rough years being in New York, coming from Detroit, and so maybe coming back to home will make things a little easier for him. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want another sample of like another guy. Like we did that twice this season. The like work on like maybe the three times this season with Equinemius with Nikhil Harry. We haven't got to see Harry yet, and then also with Pringle giving these guys chances that like they couldn't be the guy there, but maybe they no. Like because obviously Justin Fields is not that quarterback right now yeah. to bring make somebody better. Yeah, and like we I need a guy I, that's proven. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. But the problem is just like. You can't get anyone proven right now. Yeah. You know, like, the only people who aren't available are the ones who are, like, it's Kenny Galladay. Yeah. She's had issues getting comfortable in New York. Or, like, a Denzel Mims who has never really broken out in New York with mm-hmm. the Jets. It's mm-hmm. just, like, you're not going to find guys right now that are going to be available for a fair price that's yeah. going to maybe be able to make a big impact on this team. So, Which, And I'm not expecting that. Well, I'm more of just thinking you're going to have to figure out what you have. And yeah. we don't know everything we have because, like I said, uh, Vela should be coming back soon and Nikhil Harry. Who knows? Maybe those spark some things. Um, Bayless could have the potential to be a good wide receiver and he's fast and they're Nikhil Harry. We like, he's another guy that they brought in that we don't know, but he was a first round pick. So we already took a chances on some of those guys. If those aren't them, then this off season, they definitely may, need to make a, a change, but I don't see bringing in a Kenny Galladay that hasn't done anything is going to change this offense significantly. Anyways, we're not here to talk about this <laughs> Fields right now. Yes. We're here to talk about Khalil Herbert. Who, um, let's just talk about his game real quick. 20 carries, 157 yards. 132 of those 157 were after contact. He had 82.5 extra yards, which those are yards directly linked to what Khalil Herbert physically did um, in making a plays. And we'll get to that in a little bit when we kind of tie things into Bears over Beers. And... On Windy City Gridiron, they watch the All-22 and they really break down everything. And EJ did a really good job of kind of, you know, saying, okay, this is how many yards it was in total. This is how many yards directly correlated to what Khalil Mack did. I'm not Khalil Mack. Why did I just say that? (laughs) Khalil Herbert did rather than a good block from a lineman or something that Justin did well or something that a a defenseman messed up on. So that was fun. But anyway, 7.9 yards per rush he had. He had six explosive runs, which explosive runs are considered anything 10 or more yards. Um, Such a good game. 
And so that's why Khalil is our monster of the week. I'm super excited anyways to get to Khalil Herbert and be able to talk to Mike Barber. He is the writer for um, the ACC writer for the Richmond Times. And he was able to obviously covering the ACC. He sees all things ACC, but he got to cover that Virginia Tech team pretty closely and the kind of the run that Herbert had in his senior year there, his final year in college. Uh, which his story is pretty interesting. Herbert started at Kansas. The worst place to start. Oh, poor kid. And like, as I was looking through, because I was like, he spent four years at Kansas. Okay, so technically three full years at Kansas. His final year at Kansas, he only played four games. And that was in 2019, and he stepped away for the rest of the season. I think that was the first year under the last miles, too. Yes. So it was new coaching staff as well. And so that's that was a part of it. His Within the time he was there, a coach got fired within four games of his, that I think the first year, and then they had an interim coach, and then another coach came in, and that guy got fired, and then Les Miles came in, and then Les Miles got in trouble for All sorts of stuff. (laughs) And Khalil Herbert only played four games that season. Les Miles got let go. Khalil Herbert was like, I'm not playing. And he ended up switching for two Virginia Tech that next year in 2020. Probably the best choice he could have made for his career. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean— would we be talking about Khalil Herbert at all in the NFL if he would have stayed at Kansas? I mean, he probably wouldn't be in the NFL right now. Yeah. I mean, you saw him go from, I think it was like 350-ish mm-hmm. yards from scrimmage to 1,300 yards yeah. from scrimmage. So it's without a doubt the best decision he ever made. And as someone who got to watch some of those Kansas teams in person going to Iowa State, mm-hmm. it's bad. Very, yeah. very bad. So I think it was probably the best choice he could have made to get out of there. But I, I will say... Credit to Kansas. They're pretty good this year. 3-0. Yeah. Could be ranked. They figured so. some stuff out. I guess it's what happens and uh, when you get a coach who is competent. Yes. And we've seen that in many places. Um, yeah, his his time at Virginia Tech, he had uh, 1,183 yards. This was obviously just the one year. So 1,183 yards. He averaged 7.6 yards a carry. He had eight touchdowns in addition to another 179 receiving yards, in addition to another 430 return yards. Yeah. Um, it's a complete player, really. I, I mean, it's honestly incredible. And like I said, when you, well, like you said, when you look at his numbers for college, the progression that happened, which we'll talk about it a little bit with Mark Barber, of what happened. Like, what was it that really made him go from the numbers he had at Kansas to the extreme 1,000-yard more year at Virginia Tech? And Mike Barber kind of goes into that, and he talks, you know, We'll get into it, but in it is pretty much saying it's like a it's a combination of things. Yes, you could say the coaching is a part of the problem, but it's also the person that Khalil Herbert is and the kind of work ethic that Khalil Herbert has. And I think we've used that word a lot on all three guys that we've talked about. And it's with Dominique Robinson, with Travis Gibson, and now Khalil Herbert, fifth rounder, fifth rounder, sixth rounder, and there are first three monsters, which I think that's cool. Everybody would talk to about those three people. One of the f- main things they said was talked about their work ethic and how, you know, and how they the drive to keep going and not giving up. And all of them had some sort of story that they could have given up. And yeah. they didn't. And I think something really important to look at for all those guys is, I mean, like, obviously you got guys like Dominic and Travis who are just like physically dominating. But like at the end of the day, they were never really highly recruited guys. Mm-hmm. They weren't guys that were just like, oh, you got to get this guy on your team. And Khalil was the same way. And then all these guys, like it shows how much work worth like they have because like they were told like, yeah, you're not good enough right now. Mm -hmm. And they took that as rather than like, oh, I should just give up and not try, like to go in, go to to a smaller school, try and have some success there. In Khalil's case, go to a bigger school and expand on that success. So I think it just kind of shows that like when you have those guys that are drafted later in the draft, 
It doesn't necessarily mean that they're as talented, mm -hmm. but they have the work ethic to get to the place to where they can be that talented. Yeah, and I, I think, too, if you backtrack even farther with Khalil Herbert, he also switched high schools. Um, he went to Douglas. What's Stone Douglas. Stone Douglas, which obviously that's the school that had the mass shooting. Um, he was there before the mass shooting, but the coach that coached him at Stone Douglas was coaching football when that shooting happened at Stone Douglas. So he moved on to a different school because obviously that's a traumatizing experience. Oh, so yeah. I can't imagine we were trying to get him on and unfortunately we couldn't because I would have loved to talk to him to see, you know, just like talk about Khalil, but also talk about having to go through something like that. Absolutely terrifying. I couldn't imagine. But then he went on to American Heritage and American Heritage is pumps out players. Like I mean, we constantly yeah. hear that fo that name. People uh, nationally probably aren't as aware of who they are, but like they just pump out NFL talent. I mean, they got uh, Patrick Sertain the second he went there. There mm -hmm. was, uh, I think, uh, Tyson Campbell went there as well. Like, mm -hmm. So they've had a lot of NFL players the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, and it's like, I think because everyone hears IMG so much from Florida or Florida, uh, like IMG is a high school and it's in Bradenton. So they're all kind of like in that little group of area. And then obviously Miami high schools pick push out so many players that that one may get lost a little bit. But when you go through and you actually look at the players and coaches that like run through that school, it's pretty impressive. They pump guys out. Honestly, I was a little surprised he was going to Kansas coming from there. I was like, he went to yeah. American Heritage. Like he yeah. should be going to a big time school. I did see he, he got several offers. I know App State had offered him. I want to say Georgia Tech maybe. There was like four or five schools that had offered um, – him an opportunity but he picked kansas that didn't work out but he found his place at the end and that's what's important uh so virginia tech like we said is probably the best thing that could have happened with for cleo best thing that could happen for the bears yeah honestly because we wouldn't have cleo herbert right now um yeah so let's get into we're going to do a short commercial break and then we're going to get into this interview again his name's mike barber he's an acc writer for the richmond Times. so we'll talk about cleo herbert with him right after this commercial break All right, now we are joined by Mike Barber. He is the ACC writer for Richmond Times. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are here to talk about Khalil Herbert because Khalil Herbert had an absolutely amazing game. And you could pretty much say that between him and Roquan Smith, the Bears won that game. If it wasn't for them too, the Bears would not have beat the Texans uh, on Sunday. So that's why we're here. He is such an important part of this Bears offense, especially this last week, and people have underestimated him, I think, at certain times. But Herbert went to Virginia Tech, so you, uh, at least his final year in college, and you were able to cover him through that time, obviously writing for the ACC. So as we were kind of looking of, uh, at people to talk to, we saw a lot of tweets from you and articles from you about Khalil Herbert. So I want to get to that in a little bit, but I want to start off first, actually, Mike, by talking a little bit about because uh, I saw you're a Heisman Trophy voter also. And so there's a lot of things. We we live in Jacksonville, so there's a lot of uh, talk down here, obviously, of college football. And one of the guys that I have seen kind of trending towards the top of that list, obviously C.J. Stroud's up there, Bryce Young's up there, but Hendon Hooker's up there. And Hendon Hooker was the quarterback at Virginia Tech when Khalil was there. So what are, what are your thoughts about the Heisman, where it stands right now? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I'm not sure quite where things fall, but to see Hendon Hooker up there, um, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's twisting the knife a little for Virginia Tech fans. <laughs> Hendon Hooker is doing all the things that tech fans, tech media, tech coaches thought he could do. Uh, he just didn't, didn't do it for the Hokies. So um, I think there's a segment of the fan base that is like, okay, go get it and, and, and kind of proud and impressed. Um, and then there's certainly a segment that uh, is a little bit bitter. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> that he's doing that in a, doing that in a different color uniform. Yeah, um, and in know, the from, SEC. From, yeah, <laughs> and you know, it always rubs ACC people the wrong way because you know the SEC they say it just means more, and um, they're certainly getting more out of Hendon Hooker. You know, for me, it's hard to ignore what Stroud has done, the offense at Ohio State. Um, but I learned a long time ago not to get too caught up in in my uh, Heisman list until we're way down the, the, the line in the season. Um, certainly winning matters. Uh, um, and when you think about teams like Ohio State and uh, Alabama and Georgia, what, what they're doing, if they continue that. Um, but Stroud is the one who's who's leading an offense right now that I think scares me the most. And, and it's an offense that honestly has missed a couple pieces. And, and so we may not have even seen the best of, of what uh, the Buckeyes can be offensively. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this season, uh, well, I guess the draft season next year will be really interesting for a lot of teams who may potentially need a quarterback. Um, hopefully our quarterback figures some things out uh, <laughs> for the Bears. But we um, let's get let's get into Khalil Herbert a little bit. He spent his first four seasons with Kansas and unfortunately wasn't able to really ever get going there. We can pop probably point to a lot of coaching. There was a whole lot of issues going on during that time. And when he transferred over to Virginia Tech, it looked like it pretty quickly caught on. Um, but it, it, you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, did he come to Virginia Tech and immediately break out? Or was he kind of fighting for that starting role when he first got there with uh, one of the younger running backs? Yeah, what's crazy is that when he got to, to Virginia Tech, all of the talk was about Raheem Blackshear. Uh, the transfer running back from Rutgers, who uh, ended up being a, being a real good player and I, I think uh, still has a, a shot in, in, in the pros there. But um, all of the talk was about Blackshear, that he could catch the ball out of the backfield. They could play him in the slot. He could be an every down running back. And um, that was really the hype. And there, there was very little hype around Khalil Herbert, which is wild when you then think about um, and I'm trying to remember, so I hope these numbers are right, but I think he went over 100 yards in five of his first six games. Uh, his second game, I certainly remember, that was Duke, and he ran for over 200 yards. He scored twice. He had a long, like, 80-something-yard kick return against the Blue Devils. Um, so Khalil Herbert kind of, as soon as the season started, he became the guy that deserved all the hype and all the attention, got all the carries. Uh, but going into that that season and, and really – um, for a while, we had been hearing about Blackshear and, and hyping up Blackshear. Yeah, so uh, Taylor kind of touched on it a little bit. Kansas, prior to this season, has really kind of just been the ultimate dumpster fire when it comes to college football. And you have players that go there, and you have some guys that make success, have success in the NFL, but typically speaking, like they don't really do a lot. Um, he goes from having 383 yards of total scrimmage yards at Kansas in the senior year, transfers to VT for the uh, grad year, and then does 1362 the next year. And a thousand yard jump. So what I'm asking is, do you think it was more Khalil had like his own kind of breakout himself, or was it coming to a more stable program that kind of really helped propel them? Oh, I think there was a combination. I think I think the Khalil Herbert that Virginia Tech got was probably a better player, um, certainly than the one early years at Kansas. But there's no doubt. I mean, if you're a running back, I don't care how good you are. If your offensive line stinks and your passing game doesn't scare anybody, it's really tough to run the ball. Now, Again, I'm pretty sure Herbert, he was getting over five yards of carry uh -huh. at Kansas. Um, I think there's some questions about how he was used. Yeah. <laughs> like, the coaching was not that... the best there. So, <laughs> Exactly. And I, I think a lot like what we started talking about Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, I think a lot of Kansas fans probably saw him uh, breaking out and going over 1,000 yards of tech and thinking, 
we had that guy. Where was that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it was how he was used. Um, I, I thought he was a better player than they recognized at Kansas. Um, but certainly he fit in very well at Virginia Tech with what they wanted to do. He is a good um, pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, he's got great breakaway speed, and, and uh, but he can be a tough runner. You know, he finishes runs falling forward, like coaches always like to talk about. So um, I think it's a combination of Kansas being Kansas and, and, mm-hmm. and not maybe realizing what they had um, and him being certainly in a better fit and a better situation when he got to Blacksburg. Hey, they're 3-0 and right now, so maybe yeah. they turned some things around in Lawrence. So. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the games early on in his career at VT. And one of the, the first game, NC State, what the number that popped out to me was that he had six carries. And in six carries, he had 104 yards and a touchdown during that time. And so it's incredible to me to kind of see Cleo Herbert's numbers. And we've seen it in Chicago, too. His yards after contact are incredible in a lot of games. And that's really what a lot of times jacks up his numbers. Is that something you guys saw there at VT, too? Wasn't It wasn't just that he could get those, you know, four, five, six yards, but that he was good for making cuts and getting bursts and getting those extra yardage. Yeah, yeah, he he was a guy who could make more out of a play. And um, the, the first thing he did that that's for coaches sometimes more important was he was going to get the yards that were there, right? So if there were four or five yards there, he was going to get them. But then once he did, yeah, he, he has some wiggle. He's got good bursts. And like I said, he's one of those guys that once he gets going, he's just real hard to run down from behind. And um, so he was a big play guy. He, he also – you know, that, that first game was just so weird because it was COVID year. Mm-hmm. The, the stadium was empty. Both teams were missing. You just didn't know what you were going to get. And then, you know, here's Herbert putting up the, the 100 yards and the touchdown, caught a couple balls for close to 50 yards in that game. Um, and you just thought, like, okay, that looked really special. That looked really productive. But everything felt so weird that game. What was it going to be? And so I think it was kind of over the next few weeks when he kept doing it that you were like, okay, that had nothing to do with empty stadium, people in and out. Khalil Herbert is going to be really good this year. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't even think about it in that aspect. We're in Florida, and Florida, I feel like in a lot of ways, just kind of ignored a lot of the COVID things that were happening. What? Uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly the same. So honestly, I didn't even think about it that way. And for Khalil Herbert to transfer to a new school, he's learning a, a new system, new players around him, new coaches, in addition to dealing with a lot of the extra things that came along with COVID. I know a lot of meetings were virtual and stuff like that. So it really shows the impressiveness and how much he really wanted to show what he could do out on the football field. Yeah, and you know, as much as we want to dog Kansas and rightfully so, I, I just think that the Khalil Herbert who showed up in Blacksburg, like he was a man, like he, he was an adult. He, he was there to get some work done uh, and he did. It. I think it's, it's very, um, he didn't get the college experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and nobody, nobody did that year. It was such a weird year up here. Um, but he, he was on a, a, a year long business trip and, and he took care of business. I mean, he, he showed up, he quickly showed, you know, he could be a guy that could count on in the return game worked his way kind of up in, in, in the, the run game. And like I said, when the year opened, he was still kind of the number two guy. And he was so productive in that first game that they just upped his role. And, and then it went from there and he became a, a big time story here. Um, but yeah, he was a guy who came to Blacksburg to show that he could be an NFL back. Yeah. Um, so something with Khalil that I think is a little bit surprising is, so like you talk about how successful he was at VT, you look at all of his numbers, he had almost 1400 yards from scrimmage, almost 10 touchdowns. And then you look, he was drafted in the sixth round, and that might be a little bit confusing to some people. 
probably has something to do with the fact that he's 5'9", but he's still been so successful despite his size. Do you think that's something that he's ever kind of really um, expressed as something that kind of drives him, that like people underestimate him for the size, and then he kind of uses that to like be a better player? I think in general that that's the reason that, that he was overlooked. I think it's the reason when he got to Tech that, that the coaches were like Blackshear and then Herbert. You know, everybody wants to look at him and say he's a change of pace guy. And, yeah, he can do that, but he can do everything. And, and um, I do think his size is part of the reason, you know, he was overlooked. He dealt with some injuries. You know, he, he had to leave a game against Liberty and then, um, you know, kind of worked his way back over the next few weeks. And I think there was some question about that as, as he was getting draft ready. But, um, I, I mean, this is a guy who, when you put up those kind of numbers, it, it's not a fluke, right? It, it's not like he had a big game and that's why he had big numbers. I mean, he, he was unstoppable in five of his first six games, then dealt with the injury, but and then got back to healthy. And, I mean, he finished on a high note. Um, I think that's the year he, he went for like a 160 and a score in the rivalry game against Virginia mm-hmm. uh, to cap that year. I mean, so, so this is, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who I get, okay, maybe he's a little bit undersized, but throw on the film and show me what he can't do. Um, I don't think you're going to find anything. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, like when the Bears first got him in his first year, he was always someone that I thought was exciting. But I always thought, I was like, oh, it's like a third down, a third down back, change of pace, you know, can come out of the right. backfield, catch patches, catch passes. And then last week, David Montgomery goes down and he's our work, our workhorse back, and he absolutely explodes. So like, I think he very much is showing that like he could be more than just that. Yeah, and, and I think the the fact that he is that third down skill set, you know, I think that'll serve him well, and and I think he can be in the NFL for a long time doing that. But and, and you don't ever want anybody to get hurt. But like the fact that he got that opportunity, I think a lot of people it opened their eyes that I think, I think if you're the Bears, you say maybe we have more here than we realized. Maybe what we saw in college that we probably chalked up to it's college and it's the ACC. It wasn't even, you know, the, the, the most um, defensively stout conference. I think now people are probably rethinking just like they did when he had the big year. You know, he comes to tech and everyone's like, oh, he's this speedy guy out of Kansas, maybe he'll be a nice little third down option. All of a sudden, he's the star running back. Um, you know, does he get to that level in the NFL? I don't know. But I think certainly he's opened some eyes, I hope, um, to, hey, this guy's got a bigger, broader skill set uh, than maybe we're pegging him for. The Bears fans are definitely taking notice. So yeah. we can say that at least. <laughs> I mean, honestly, even this offseason, Mike, we were we were talking a lot about because the Eberflus came out and said this is going to be a run-heavy offense. And we knew that was going to happen because they didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on receiving weapons. And they knew they had good two very good backs. And so I, a lot of Bears fans were even like, who are we going to see more? Are we going to see more of Khalil? Are we going to see more of David? And unfortunately, David went down. You don't want to see it happen that way. But it was a glimpse of what you have out of Khalil Herbert in a contract year for David Montgomery. So I think that is uh, something that I think Bears fans really want to kind of pay attention to. But one of the things that I saw what well, actually was a, a quote from Hendon Hooker, and it was during that, that season. And he, he said, he's more like a dynamite and I'm like pop rocks are the words that Hendon Hooker is uh, used is that something you would ex- describe Herbert as <laughs> I still am not exactly sure what Hendon meant because they both kind of they both the same thing explode, right? <laughs> but yeah that's what I thought but I mean I guess dynamite's a bigger explosion maybe mm-hmm. um, but yes yeah, I mean Khalil Herbert was an explosive player and he looked no further than his kick returns I mean and that was the thing was 
he was the every down back and he was being so productive and he was still breaking long kick returns. And um, he has great vision, which I think you've seen now already there in Chicago. But um, that vision on kick returns, he was a guy who he would just catch the ball and go, which is what they coach you to do on kick return. And it didn't take a big opening, right? Somebody held their block well. Somebody really stealed the lane. And, and he saw it and he was through it. Um, he never slowed down. He never hesitated on kick returns. He was never looking for a hole, right? He just seemed to be going forward the whole time and feeling those holes. And um, I think it's why he was surprisingly effective also in short yardage. He kind of just went towards that line of scrimmage and, and felt where there might be a crease to get um, you know, a third down and three or a third down and two pickup. Uh, we already talked about it. He wasn't a huge guy who was going to bowl people over. But yeah, I think explosive because of his vision. I think good speed. Um, just a really good feel for the game. With uh, Khalil being a six-round pick and a backup running back, he obviously hasn't gotten the press exposure he would he got at VT. So Bears fans aren't super familiar with who he is as a person. How do you think you would describe him like in that way? <laughs> and, and that's why it's like I was happy to do this and happy to see him play. He's just a great guy to be around. I and mean, he has a big smile. He really enjoys what he was doing. He always seemed, which obviously I appreciate, he always seemed to enjoy media sessions and, um, you know, being the guy who was, who was being interviewed. And, you know, sometimes that, they didn't have a great year as a team that year. Um, so sometimes that can get a little bit old. Um, but, yeah, he, he uh, really, really good kid. Um, like I said, he, he came to Virginia Tech, I thought, with a real business attitude of he was there to work to prove himself. But he was always fun to be around, always had a big smile. Um, I think he's got a couple of, I think he had a couple of brothers who were like track stars, um, like real speed guys too, because we always talked about, you know, where his foot speed ranked in his family. Um, so Khalil, Khalil Harper was, was great to be around as a media guy and, and, and an easy guy for me to kind of root for going forward and, and hope he, he sticks and does well in the NFL. Well, I hope we get to see a lot more of Khalil because honestly at this point, it's I can't even tell you what he sounds like, being completely <laughs> honest. So I am very excited to see this personality you're talking about. I agree. And I think it's something that obviously when you when you're cheering for players that are on your team, you want those guys. You want those guys that have, you know, some a fun personality and are having a good time. And I don't think because of some of the other names that have been, especially last year, when you have Khalil Mack on your team and some of the other Akeem Hicks and guys like that, they kind of take over the camera. Um, so I'm excited to see more of Khalil Herbert. But I do want to talk. Uh, we'll have a couple more for you. I do want to talk a little bit about one of the criticisms that I've heard, and this is just from the Bears' side, so I'm wondering if it was an issue at Virginia Tech at all, but one of the reasons a lot of Bears fans have preferred David Montgomery to be in the game over Khalil are is more for the blocking reason. They say they've kind of criticized Khalil's blocking ability. Is that something that he had issues at VT, or is it maybe he's just not out on the field enough right now to get that going? I think that's where the size factors in. I think it was less of an issue in college. Um, you know, the guys he's asking, he's being asked to pick up as blitzers now in the NFL, maybe the size difference makes uh, more of an impact. I think he was a willing and capable blocker at Virginia Tech. Um, and I think at the college level, he was big enough, right? He was big enough uh, to get things done. Now, he had a, a real mobile quarterback, and, and so much of the college game is – Quarterbacks running around broken pockets, scramble stuff anyway. Um, but I always thought he was he was a capable blocker. But certainly his size at the next level, it becomes a little more difficult to take those guys on. Um, Khalil's best thing picking up blitzes probably in college was his ability to slip slip out of the backfield and catch a short pass. Mm -hmm. um, again, 
when you've got a, a broken pocket in that style of offense, it's not the same thing in a pro-style offense. So I think it's a, a fair criticism. Now, I don't know how much he's bulked up, if he's bigger, stronger. Um, but, again, I thought he was always a willing blocker, uh, capable enough at college, but certainly that is a place where the size could hurt him. Yeah, I will say one thing, though. I mean, when you mentioned the having mobile quarterback thing, he definitely has one now, and uh, we don't really like to throw the ball here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, he'll definitely be as mobile as possible. I think so. we're stuck in the 1980s, but uh, I guess whatever <laughs> wins you football games, you know. Um, I have two more quick ones for you and not technically directly uh, correlated to Khalil Herbert, but we mentioned earlier Herbert going in the sixth round. What are your feelings towards people drafting running backs very high? Because there's a lot of criticisms for people who may take them in the first round just because so many guys you see coming out of the fifth, sixth round at that running back position can succeed. Yeah, I, it's funny because there, there was a long stretch where that's where you'd go, right? If you were picking early on, you wanted to get that stud running back. And, um, God, I mean, if people play fantasy football. That's that what was I was about to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Running backs were always there. And then we kind of got away from that. Um, now, I don't, I don't follow fantasy football enough to know exactly why they got away from that trend. But I do think in the NFL what you started to see with the the violence of the game, the physical nature of the game, running backs just started to have these really short shelf lives, mm-hmm. right? And you know, you got Tom Brady who's going to play till he's sixty five as a quarterback, <laughs> and you have running backs who would have three or four great years, and then two years later be out of the league. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there was a real concern about, okay, I can get a left tackle that's going to play forever. I can get a quarterback that's going to play for a long time. Um, a linebacker, or I can get a running back who may burn out after five or six years. I think that was really the shift. Mm -hmm. Um, So people started taking them later in the draft. And and I think some of these guys that go in the second, third, fourth round would have been first round picks. And if you do the math, that means some of these guys in the fifth and sixth round, they used to be second, third round picks. So I think you're getting great value (laughs) if if you get a running back in, in rounds three, four, five. Um, but again, I, I think it's just a question of we're going to invest this money, yes, but we're going to invest this draft pick. How many years is this going to pay dividends for us? And the running back position, understandably, I mean, those guys take a pounding. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it hasn't been a good long-term investment. I mean, if you look at who was the lead or best running back in the NFL last year, Jonathan Taylor, it's second-round pick right there. So. Yeah, and I agree. I think that when you're when you're looking at these guys, and especially now, when you have a running back, and you're like, well, he's already 27, though. And you're like, he's 27, <laughs> and we're saying that. Um, okay, one quick one, because we've mentioned the Bears uh, passing offense struggling, but any ACC wide receivers out there that we should be keeping an eye out um, for the draft this next year? Oh, that's a great question. I haven't actually looked at who's – I've lost complete track at this point of who is a senior because in college we're dealing with uh, all of the COVID year. So yeah. confusing, so, I bet. Yeah, it's it's very hard to remember at this point, uh, you know, who's who's actually out of eligibility, mm-hmm. uh, which I think factors into, into your question, who's actually going to be in the draft, who's going to stay for another year. But certainly um, there, there are some pro-level talents um, Aronde Gadsden at Syracuse, who's the, the son of a former NFL, former Miami Dolphins wide receiver. Um, we've seen from him, I think, some of the NFL style of play, catching contested balls. Uh, Zay Flowers at Boston College is a guy who has the speed on the outside um, to, I think, be that kind of player. Um, certainly Josh Downs at North Carolina is the, the explosive star, uh, I, I would say, in the conference. Um, and maybe a step behind is A.T. Perry. At Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think all four of those guys I just mentioned uh, are going to be really good pros. 
Um, Downs has great speed. I think Perry is a great uh, throw-it-up competition, compete-for-the-ball guy. Um, so I, I think there are some good receivers to look at. Um, I don't know overall, again, I don't know who's, yeah. who's going to be in the draft and who's not because um, I'm to the point where I, I wait until uh, draft day to figure out who's still got their COVID year left. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah those, are some, those are some people that if, if they pop up on the board, I think have NFL futures. Um, and it feels like Zay Flowers has been there forever. So mm-hmm. I'd imagine he's about due for, for the NFL. Well, Mike, thank you so much. I know down here, like I said, we are in Florida, but we cover the Bears. There's a lot of SEC Gator fans that we work with, (laughs) and they are not very happy that the Knowles and Jordan Travis are looking better than the Gators right now. Um, So it's kind of it's been fun to me to watch that Seminoles team. And I know for you covering the ACC, it's pretty interesting. Um, But thank you so much again for hopping on and talking to us about Khalil. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. Thanks for having me, and stay safe with the weather down there. Oh, yeah, we'll yes. do our best. Try Thanks and so stay much. dry. Have a good one. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, thanks to Mike for joining us. Um, it's really cool to hear when when we get to talk to people who covered them and that aren't football coaches. It's really cool because obviously a coach, when you are with that person for whatever years and you're coaching them every single day, it's a little easier to be like, he's great. You know, yeah. like I coached him. He's great. Um, but people like this have no dedication or anything. There's no to obligation. This yeah, there's to say nothing. He's good things. Yeah. yeah, like I mean he wrote about him. It's it, he didn't have he didn't have any like personal connection to what Khalil Herbert's success was. And still he says a lot of great things. But one of the things obviously that he mentioned was when with that QB at VT, Hooker, Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker, yeah. He which is really cool because now he's falling uh, out. Yeah, yeah. Doing playing very well at Tennessee. So when I saw that was the quarterback for Khalil, I was like Oh, he's like a Heisman guy, like getting talked into that right now. Um, but he's mo- he was a mobile quarterback. Wow, look what we have, a mo- mobile quarterback. And he kind of mentioned how much that helped Khalil. Um, I feel like we haven't seen Justin run as much these first three games as we've seen him r- run in a la- at certain points last year. But there's definitely been plays that have been saved by Justin Fields' run, and that happened this last game against the Texans. Um, I remember the one specific one where you thought he was about to go down, and then he gets like 15 yards and a first down, and you're like, oh, thank God. But you don't realize sometimes until you talk to guys and it really clicks that like that mob- that mobility does open so many other things, and it also really does make the job of a running back easier a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about how, like, Khalil, like Khalil's, he's 5'9", a little over 200 pounds. So, like, he's as big as you're going to get as a 5'9 guy, but at the end of the day, it's not that big. So, blocking is going to be tough for him. And, like, yeah. we've seen that at this level. But I think what he was trying to say is just, like, 
when you have a guy like Justin, you, know, you can get around so easily. It makes the little things easier for Khalil that, like, maybe he can either shut off a block and try and get open for a quick pass or, like, Justin get out of the way to where Khalil doesn't have to hit him as, like, head-on, you know? So I think Khalil's never going to be a great blocker, mm-hmm. but I think in the way in which he kind of talked about it, it made me feel a little bit better about him going forward. Yeah, and I think that um, he also was talking about, I feel like he mentioned a little bit of him being, like, a pass catcher, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's important for this Bears offense because I saw it in this game on Texans. Granted, Justin Fields missed it. Um, Khalil Herbert, I think, ran, you know, seven, eight yards in front and kind of stopped and, like, a play wasn't working. So he got open and was like, I'm here. Justin didn't see that. Um, But hopefully, eventually, things slow down for Justin a little bit and he is seeing these open guys because it was several times. Um, So having somebody like Khalil Herbert who not only can run the ball and also, like you said, may not be the best at blocking but does have the ability to do it. Um, The the words that a lot of people you talk about for him and Mike mentioned it many times is his vision. And also EJ, which we'll get into some of these cuts from Bears Over Beers in a minute, but he talks a lot about Khalil Herbert's vision. Mm -hmm. And that is just such an, I think, under talked about underappreciated yeah underappreciated part of what a running back does because we talk about all the time about guys you know the running backs that are bowling balls and just run over people or the the guys that can like break tackles and stiff arm guys which Khalil Herbert Herbert can do all of that but he can also create gaps with his eyes and that's just so important yeah I mean he's really been impressive so far and like he's someone that the one the Bears drafted initially we talked about this in the interview like I was like oh this is a nice change of pace third down back to have and like uh, Mike talked about when he came to VT, like that was the expectation he was going to have there. Gets to VT and he breathes out, uh, I think it was Blackshear was the guy's name, mm-hmm. and immediately becomes their star running back just yeah. out of nowhere. And like kind of for the Bears, it's been a similar situation. Maybe he's not our star running back right now, maybe someday. But like at the moment, he was kind of considered to be a guy that's like, hey, like let's change the pace a little bit for us. A nice little piece to have next to Montgomery. And there are a lot of people out there who are just like, maybe let Montgomery leave. Yeah. What? Yeah. And EJ mentions that too. Again, um, it, if you haven't listened or watched the. Bears over beers. It's really good because they're just so good at breaking down like what is happening. And they pick two players, so it's mainly focused. You're not watching a full all 22 of what's happening, but you're seeing like in depth two different people and two different opinions on what they're seeing and why certain things are happening and why it worked or why it didn't work. And EJ mentions that, but you were mentioned you were saying something about Mike that stood out to you though. Oh, about then, his, about his personality. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay, him. so yeah, Mike had mentioned in the interview that I talked about his personality, and I think that was something that I love to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a lot easier to root for a likable guy. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, like it's you can still root for a player that's really good if you don't love him. Like I know, like a lot of the Jags people here, like Jalen Ramsey, yeah. is a great example of someone they just hated, but like mm-hmm. they had to like him until yeah. they didn't. But uh, I think once you have a guy you can actually like, it just makes it so much funner and so much easier. And mm-hmm. like, we haven't heard a lot from Khalil. I mean, we talked about, like, he's a backup running back and yeah. a sixth-round pick. So, like, he's not getting picked for first for media, mm-hmm. media availability. But, like, I'm excited to get to know him more as a person because at the end of the day, like, if you're a likable guy, the other teammates in your locker room like you, and then, like, you're going to be more successful as a team. So here's my question. Moving forward, uh, and just this season, I'm not talking about in the future because, obviously, with contract decisions with David Montgomery, that could definitely affect things that happen. But this year... Montgomery comes back when Montgomery comes back and he's healthy and 100%. What do the Bears do with the run game? Do they 50 50 this now? Do they situationally select who's going in and out? What do you think? I, I think it's a little premature to say entirely what's going to happen because at the end of the day, like the Texans, 
they're not the yeah. pinnacle of the NFL defenses. I know Lovey's a good defensive coach, mm-hmm. but like they're not a good team. So it'd be th- interesting to see how Khalil does in mm-hmm. the weeks that Montgomery's not there. We don't know how long Montgomery's going to be out yet, and I'm pretty sure I think it's like a week-to-week yeah, week thing. Yeah, week-to-week, day-to-day, whatever it is. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot more carries. I mean, he's only been really good, honestly, in the opportunity he's gotten so far, and there's yeah. been a lot of buzz coming up to the season, like fantasy-wise. People are just like, don't draft David Montgomery. Will yeah. Herbert's going to be the guy. Yada yeah. yada yada. But like at the end of the day, I still believe in David too. So I do too. It's a good problem I, a, to that's have. That's what I was just yeah. about to say. It's a good problem to have two backs that can one goes down and the other can come out like nothing happens, uh, or you know whatever. Sometimes they have bad days. So let's say you know Khalil's not having a good day or David's not having a good day. You're confident that you have another back that could come in and. St- step up like and honestly, there's no difference like this being said like having two good running backs is a very in vogue thing these days like what's yeah. happening in green bay like what's happening in uh jacksonville yeah. i mean like honestly like a dallas like yeah. obviously ezekiel elliott's falling off a little bit but they have tony pollard and ezekiel elliott yeah. both very I capable like running tony backs. better than zeke nowadays a lot of people do these days yeah. but like those are just both very capable guys to have so like having two good running backs is not a bad thing at all yeah um, all right, let's jump into the bears over beers a little bit the Montgomery, montgomery the khalil herbert breakdown uh, so again, 20 carries, 157 yards, 132 after contact, 82.5 extra yards. That's directly from Khalil. EJ on one of these clips will go in and explain a little further what what that means, um, or what play maybe he's specifically talking about. Six explosive runs, uh, just such a great game. But the first one I wanted to address is they kind of broke down Montgomery's first. Oh, I keep saying that Khalil's Khalil. first run because Montgomery went down. So right after Montgomery went down is when Khalil had his first touch of the game, and EJ kind of goes into that. From the very first rep, we see a really good run. He's got a great little hesitation. This is designed to be basically an inside run between left guard and tackle. They put up two duo blocks. That means two guys on one defender trying to open up the hole. Tight end and tackle go one way. Garden center, go the other way, and they open this hole, and the hole is there. He runs up to that, and linebackers fill, which is great. So he sort of slides in behind that left tackle tight end block, waits to see what happens, and then scrapes and goes to the next aisle over, if you will, and goes off left tackle. So not exactly where the run was designed to go, but in doing that, and this is something he does over and over again, he draws defenders into the mess. They have to sort of commit, and they get tangled up in the defensive lineman, he squirts to the outside. That's great feel. That's great vision. It's not a tremendous cut. He's basically stepping over about half a lane. Um, Then he absolutely destroys the Texans linebacker, Grugio Hill, with a stiff arm. And I mean destroys. Like, he puts this guy in the ground so his cleats are pointing straight up. That's mm, only about three or four yards after he took the handoff. Um. He ends up picking up another four and a half yards after that stiff arm. So great first effort from him. Good feel, good cut, massive stiff arm, earns a bunch of extra yards with that. All right, so this is one of the spots where I was telling you they say vision. He talked about him having great feel, great vision. Um, The one thing that really stood out for me is when I was listening to EJ explain a lot of these runs and the runs that ended up being explosive were – were there was a lot of and then so it was like Khalil gets the ball does this and then does this and then sees this and then does this and breaks off for 19 yards like 
it's not like he's just getting lucky and someone misses a tackle and he's running. He is physically mo- like making cuts, making adjustments, finding blocks, stiff arming people, like making things happen to get all of these extra yards of plays that could potentially be four or five yards. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like when you hear that description, like I kind of think of like a master chess player where mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, like they're going to know what they're going to do next, but they're not just thinking what the next move is. It's yeah. what's the next four what's moves after that? are. Exactly. Yeah. And I think Khalil, when he has that kind of vision, like, it's a very natural thing that comes to him, and, like, he implements it very well. So, yeah. like, I think that if he continues to, you know, get more opportunity, we're going to see a lot more good things. Yeah, and I think the another word and phrase I think we'll hear a lot with Khalil and David Montgomery, both of them, the yards after contact term we hear a lot because yeah. they are both the guys the that yak. will get more. Yeah, they'll, they'll get that yak, and we love that, um, especially when you are relying on your run game so heavily right now. Um, so the second cut I want to talk to talk about is when EJ goes into um, and is talking about his strength and leverage, which is another thing that he you know is obviously important for a successful running back to have. So we'll play that one. Runs through contact very well, twists very well, uses leverage, um, an additional eight yards after contact, basically running straight up the middle, is pretty damn impressive. Um, he does it here. 6.45 in the first quarter. This is a fullback lead. Carring blasting games in front of him. He commits inside to draw the blockers into the wash again. He basically follows and says, I'm going to the middle. Steps right up to the line so he can basically touch his blockers. That basically draws everybody in. Then he takes a look at what's there and goes the way he needs to. Follows beautifully to the outside. Blasting game picks off the outside defender. And then perfectly cuts it back inside and finishes with power for the touchdown. This is the first touchdown run. Um, if you look at that again, commits, puts a foot in the ground, draws some people in, gets to the outside, follows that block, and then says, Nope, I'm going to cut it back inside. Almost sort of cuts back twice, like cuts back and then adjusts his cutback and then finishes with power, extends across the goal line. A bunch of things on display, and the Bears pick up six. All right, so one of the things that stuck out to me for this one is, and I've mentioned it on the podcast, I think last week I mentioned it, um, but was blasting game, the fullback. Kari? Yes. When he is in, things happen. Good things happen. And this play specifically was the touchdown, the Khalil Herbert touchdown. Blasting game was in this game. He makes a big block. That block almost directly leads to Khalil Herbert being able to get into the end zone. Let me read you something I saw um, of the the snaps that have that happened versus the Texans when Blasting Game was in the game. He played 15 snaps. Here are the outcomes of those 15 snaps: plus 13 yard pass, a plus one, an incomplete, a plus 11 touchdown, plus three, plus six, plus 52. A minus two, a plus one touchdown, plus eight, false start, plus eighteen pass, one sack, um, and then the he had minus the kneel downs. So the when blasting game was in the fifteen snaps he was in, the Bears gained ninety seven yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, I think I mean the fullback position is something that's kind of really I think made a bit a little bit of a comeback. It's super weird that like you don't really see positions in sports go extinct. But, like, it seemed like the fullback position kind of was trending towards that. And then, mm-hmm. like, the last couple of years, you got guys like Kyle Juszczyk, you got Alec Ingle now down in Miami, and they're kind of really dynamic, important pieces of their offenses. So, like, having a guy like Kari back there, it's just 
another awesome blocker to make our, our good running backs into great running backs. It sounds awesome to me. Yeah, and that, that's what, when I'm looking at that and I'm saying that the large portion, I mean, there was two negative plays out of 15 snaps that blasting game was in there, and a portion of them were plus 10, plus 11, plus 52, plus 19, plus 18. Let's do that until we can figure out what to do with the the passing game because right now that looks like it's working and they're getting down the field. Um, obviously, you're not going to do that every single time because eventually the other team would figure that out, especially better, smarter defenses. No offense to Texans and Lovey, but there are better, more concrete, solid defensive fronts out there, you know? Um, so the next one I want to talk to talk about, he was, he was talking about pressing the block. Um, and this, in large part, helped, I think, all of the run, all of his 10-plus yard runs in the Texans game, if not the majority of them, and have seemed to kind of be that. That's like the, the history of what Khalil does is pressing the block. Inside handoff, again, presses the block. This is a running back skill that's really critical, and you see a lot of runners, especially young runners, that don't have success, don't aren't practitioners of this skill. You need to get right up on the rump of your blocker and be there so that you can basically feel him, see which way the leverage is going on that block, draw the defenders in, and then get left or right. Herbert is excellent at pressing blocks. He does it all the time. Presses this block uh, and cuts back to pick up 10. Like, gets outside, again, feels that leverage, says, nope, just going to slide inside, picks up 10. Uh, it's that skill. It's one demonstrable skill that he has over and over again. You'll see it in most of the long runs he had in this game. He'll press a block. So, Dylan, what stuck out to me with this one was that EJ pointed out that young runners most of the time have difficulty doing this. Mm -hmm. And Khalil is doing, not only doing this, but doing this at a very high level, and a lot of success is coming out of it. And so, to me, this dude's in his second year, and this is why we're talking about him right now, because with Montgomery coming up in contract talks, and you have a young running back who is already doing things that it takes some veterans time to do and learn and do successfully and do successfully on a consistent basis. And Khalil's doing this in his second year. And let's be honest, not that many starts, not that many snaps comparably to what other backs get. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really, really impressed me. I mean, if you even go back to last year when David went down and he was a starter for those few weeks, he was a very good running back. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people did expect a bigger role for him coming into this year, but like, where he's already at at this point in his career is miles further than I thought he would already be. So yeah. I am. it's really nothing but excitement when it comes to him. So Khalil last year only started two games. Did you know that? That's a little surprise. I definitely, I knew that. I felt like David missed a little bit more time than that, honestly, yeah. now that I think about it. But I mean, like, it's, yeah, it's just about right. He played in 17, but only started two. Um, he had 433 rushing yards and two touchdowns, in addition to another 96 receiving yards. This year, he already has 240 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's definitely breaking out a little bit, and it's it's really exciting to watch. Granted, 157 of those were from <laughs> this last game, yeah. but still, that leaves another a little less than 100 when he wasn't even starting. He wasn't on the field as much as David Montgomery was on the field. In addition, they also throw Tristan Ebner in there here and there. When and he's we'll not talk dropping the ball. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> let's not do that. But he... I will actually talk about, I think EJ talks about Ebner 
on one of the ones coming up um, because there was a long stretch where they didn't have Khalil in much and Tristan Ebner was in. And it was almost like the whole third quarter, I think, which mm-hmm. is kind of odd. Um, I don't know really what was going on, but EJ kind of goes into it. And I, do, I feel like I didn't even realize it because I think at that point I was just like, oh, God. Like, don't what? throw another pick. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, God. Uh, but another one I want to jump to real fast was what EJ says is, was the most impactful touch of the game by Khalil Herbert. This is, this is the big one. The first real impactful touch, uh, 1125 middle. So this isn't the running back's fault. This is a good plus play for the Bears. Uh, it's basically a spread formation. Um, the Texans defenders don't pack in. They leave a space in the middle, and there is a massive hole. You could drive a truck through the hole that Khalil Herbert runs through. I'm not going to blame him for having a great hole. He makes use of it. Here's the difference. He breaks an ankle tackle, outruns pursuit for 52 yards. 43 of those yards were after the ankle tackle attempt. So if he gets tripped up there and stumbles and picks up two or three more yards, this is a good gain. This is a nine or maybe 12 yard gain, depending on where he ended up rolling to. He keeps his balance and in keeping his balance accelerates and just breaks a couple angles period with again, that acceleration you were talking about earlier, 52 yards in one run, 43 of them are on him. So at nine yards, this could have been, you know, basically just a first down run instead becomes a massive explosive play. One of the biggest plays of the day for the bears. All right. So this one, I, I think I can like pretty confidently say that we, the bears wouldn't have won the game if this play didn't happen. Mm -hmm. 52 yard run. Important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially when it's a tied ball game. And the clock is run, you know, it's the clock goes down really quick once you get to that end of the game and it's tied. And you, at this point, we have accepted that the we're not going to be able to throw the ball. Um, at this point, I think even we're a little scared. The one of the things I will say about Justin Fields before, I don't want people to think I'm just completely hating on him. And I don't want people who are like really worried to be like, she's not paying attention to what Justin's doing. Can make everyone happy. Yeah. But Justin also did have a few plays that also helped the game tremendously especially Mm -hmm. towards the end and one of the things after his interceptions he doesn't panic and that's one of the good things a lot of quarterbacks after throwing that second terrible awful bad decision interception would have been just like done yeah mentally out of it not able to get back in there justin comes and throws a what it was like 15 yard pass up the middle of the field for a first down and saved that drive for the bears towards the end of the game so he does things and those are the little glimpses that pull you back in when as soon as Mm -hmm. you're like this is done because you're like you can do it like that that's more of that um so around that I think that play and this 52 yard run were so impactful um the one thing that obviously he mentioned and that that's just insane is that he because he broke the ankle tackle there's so many times when I'm watching a game and when you're watching a running back and you see the guy just barely get their foot and they go down and you're like dang it like if just one more yeah yeah. like just one more step and it would have been 40 yards that's what this play was, and Khalil did it successfully. Khalil escaped that ankle tackle and got he, 43 of the 52-yard runs were after that ankle tackle. So if that wouldn't have happened, he would have got, what, like 11 yards maybe, um, but it wouldn't have been 52. So that is just such a huge, massive difference. Um, in addition, he mentioned the word, he mentioned being able to keep his balance and being able to accelerate during that, which is just incredible to see a young running back be able to do that because again it's that 
that situation where you're saying, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then it was 52 yards. Yeah. Like, uh, most running backs, it really would have been maybe a 9, 10, 11-yard run, and you would have been like, okay, that's good, a first down, but a 52-yard run really helps you win football games. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good testament to, like, his strength. And mm-hmm. I know it might be kind of crazy to say, like, to Khalil Herbert's a really strong guy, mm-hmm. but, like, He's 5'9". He's, like, a little bit shorter than I am. Pretty much the same height. Yeah. And he's got, like, 60 pounds on me, yeah. at least. And he is a big guy yeah. for his size. I want to say he's, like, 210. He's, like, two, 215. He's a big yeah. dude. And, like, he is very much making his presence known there. And, like, a small guy, when he gets his ankle wrapped up, usually kind of, kind of tends to go down. And, like, yeah. when you see a guy that's 5'9", you'd be like, oh, he's a little tiny Especially guy. Especially when the guy grabbing your ankle is, like, 300. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, he's got those big, strong, powerful legs, and he just keeps on shrugging. And, like, I think a guy like Dave Montgomery is very similar in that aspect yeah. where it's like he doesn't get hit the first time, he doesn't go down. And, like, I love having that in the running back room. Yeah, because there's so many moments when you're watching them and you're like, you think they're about to go down. Whether it be someone grabs an ankle, whether it be they're kind of getting collapsed on and they come out the other side and they keep running for more yards and you're like, thank God, because that would have just been another three and out. And those are the plays that saved the Bears from a lot of those three announced that they had against Green Bay. Yeah. Um, so the last one he mentioned was the final, the second stiff arm. So the first play we talked about was also a stiff arm. He stiffed arm another guy later. Um, and this was towards the very end of the game. This was pretty much what is saving the Bears from giving the Texans back the ball at the end, which would have potentially lost, even though Roquan got that, got it. But we backed that. They got the ball so far in their own. Thank goodness at the end. Who knows what would have happened. But I want to listen to this one real quick. Last play I want to talk about. 3.05 left in the fourth quarter. Getting near the end of the game. Again, very close game. These are important touches, right? Bears end up winning this thing by a field goal. Um, ball starts at the Chicago 12. He pushes the left edge blocks really well, then does that patented sort of break outside, drops a defender with another stiff arm at the 13 and speeds up the left edge for 19. The defender contacted him one yard past the line of scrimmage and he dropped him again. He has a very good stiff arm. So 18 of these 19 yards are on him. Um, Tristan Ebner does not show that kind of elusiveness. He probably would have had a one yard gain here. Nothing against Tristan Ebner. He does not. He is more of the speed guy. Uh, he is a better receiver. He is different things than Khalil Herbert. But right here, he probably picks up 1.5 yards. Khalil Herbert picks up 19. All right. So I think the most important thing of part of this, like I said, is it was very, very um, crucial that this play happened because it was such a super close game. Yeah. If this was a game where the Bears were up two touchdowns, this wouldn't even be a play we'd probably be talking about because it was it it wasn't something where you were like, holy crap, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. But because the Bears needed to do something so badly as time was running down and you were getting to the point where you're like, this is a tie game and we have kicker PTSD and what are we going to do? Um, the defender made the contact with him, EJ said, one yard past the line of scrimmage, and Cleo got 19 yards out of this run. Yeah, I mean, it just shows that, like, guys, he is a gamer for running back, and, like, it shows kind of being, like, a really clutch player, because at the end of the day, like, you want to score the big touchdown, you want to do this and that, and, like, when you think of clutchers, like, the guy that comes through at the end of the game makes mm-hmm. a big play, this, this, and that, and, like, a 19-yard run is not, like, anything, like, blow your mind crazy, but, like, it was a difficult 19 yards to get, yeah. and, like, once he did it, it was something that really kind of made me feel excited about him going forward because I think he's going to be a guy that, like, 
he's not going to get go down in that first hit. Yeah. And he's not going to go be a guy that once they're in a position where it might look like things aren't going to go well, he's not, not going to lay down and die. He yeah. wants to keep fighting for those extra yards. Yeah, which I, I think it's, I mean, it's so exciting to talk about good things. And I'm, I want the Bears' offense to be fun to talk about again. And right now, obviously, the passing offense is, but the run the run game is very, very fun right now. Yeah. Um, even, unfortunately, with Montgomery out. Poor guy wore the Trey Cohen shirt to the game and then gets hurt. I was like, no, Just I love you, Monty. Cohen, bad luck. Um, but luckily, it's nothing serious because, honestly, at first, I was like, oh, no. like yeah. We lost Montgomery for the year. Like it, He was in pain. Um, but from what we're hearing, like you said, day to day, week to week, whatever. So we'll know more as time goes about that. But um, for now, you have Khalil Herbert, and he will be able to hold down that running back room, um, if not excel in it. So that's exciting. But obviously, we have another game coming up, and against the Giants, the Giants the are two, two and, and one. Giants. Also, they had the chance to start three and zero and lost to Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dallas's defense is very good, though. Uh, Daniel Jones was getting worked. That's what the Bears have to do this weekend, Dylan. The Bears have to get to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, when he is getting frazzled, when he's getting hit, when he is getting pressured, he starts to lose it a little bit. When Daniel Jones has time to think and is calm, he looks like a really good quarterback. Yeah, the thing is, like, Daniel Jones is, like, he is someone that's, I think, he reminds me a lot of Mitch Trubisky and where, like, he'll do some things where you're just like, oh. Maybe this guy, like, he could be the guy for the Giants, and then he'll just make some of the dumbest plays you've ever seen in your yeah. entire life. And he's not a guy that, like, Daniel Jones You're puts no of? fear in my heart yeah, at yeah. all. And I honestly was a little bit more nervous about the game against the Texans than I am about this game. Mm-hmm. And the Giants have someone who I think they've really kind of overperformed to this point, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of expectations just like, oh, the Cowboys are down and out, you know, and we got the Bears next week, or, you know, maybe we'll be 4-0 to start the year off, and... I just don't think they're that good of a team. I yeah. think they're a lot more. I mean, more... I'll tell you though, the Giants are looking at us saying the exact same thing. Oh yeah, and like it's the it, that it's they're pre- saying yeah. this is the sloppiest two and one team we're gonna ha- we'll ever have to play. Oh yeah, that's right. what they're yeah. thinking. And I do think that they're very comparable teams at the moment, where it's just like yeah, like the offense isn't necessarily where you want it to be, but the run game is definitely where you want it to be, and the defense has been looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the Giants overall is a team that I think we should win. Wait, is this in Chicago or in, it's New, in York? New York? New York, yeah, in New York. So. Don't have that going for us. Yeah, because I will tell you, I saw a stat earlier, and the last, like, five times we've played or whatever, three times have been in Chicago and two have been in New York, and each home team has won. Yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, Saquon tore his ACL against the Bears. I think so. Yeah, so I think maybe that's and a And he's little, back, and when I say back, he's he, back. He is back, back. So maybe yeah. that may be a little bit of extra motivation for him, which is which you don't love to hear, but mm-hmm. hey, when you have Roquan Smith making 16 tackles and getting the pick, like, yeah. we'll be okay in that department. Yeah, Roquan is everywhere. Man, so it would good. have been fun to talk about him this week. Oh, too, I mean, but... like, the thing with Roquan, though, is like, he's going to have another great game. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll have, have another opportunity. To talk about yeah, so. And so that's, like, really quick, um, when you're talking about the Bears and the Giants, they, so they're both pretty even, and I'm talking about defensive-wise, um, because... I think both teams' bigger concern is their offenses. Yes. Um, they both have a run game, obviously, but they both have questionable quarterbacks trying to figure things out. The difference is one's on their 13th game, one's on like year four or five or he whatever. Is. Daniel on. Jones on the way out. Yeah. Plain and simple. So Daniel Jones is working to save his job in general. Justin Fields is working to just prove he can be a quarterback in the NFL at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when it comes to their defenses, both of the pass defense, uh, the Giant, they're both about the same as in 
The Giants have allowed 610 passing yards, and the Bears have allowed 603 passing yards. Um, Those are both towards the bottom of allowed yards. So their passing defenses are definitely playing a lot better than their run defenses, honestly. Um, And and it's the same with touchdowns. Bears have allowed just three passing touchdowns. Giants have allowed four. Um, The one thing about the Giants that sticks out is their defense has not gotten one interception this season yet. I love to hear that from Justin Fields. Hopefully. Gosh. Like, do not give them their first interception, please. Um, The Bears have three, obviously. And so they've got to win that battle. I think that's going to be such a major key in this game is winning that turnover battle. It is in any game, but especially a game like this when, like I said, your your offenses are just – you're trying to find a light in your offense, and that's what the Bears are doing right now. So if they can avoid turning that ball over – It'll be huge. Yeah. I think, um, I think a big thing for me is uh, the Giants offensive line, it's really not good. Mm-hmm. And as we kind of touched on earlier, Daniel Jones is someone that in perfect conditions is still a little wobbly at times. Mm-hmm. But if you have guys like Travis and Robert or Robert Quinn and uh, Dom back there, and maybe even an Al-Qadid Muhammad, yeah. probably not. But if he does manage to get back there, like those are the kind of things that can really make his life a lot harder and then makes things for a secondary a lot easier. Yeah. So I think if they can get him moving out of the pocket and uncomfortable, it could be a really good thing for them. For sure. And um, in reverse, the Giants are saying the same thing about the Bears. Yes. Um, because I will tell you another thing I saw. Uh, the team blitz percentages according to pro football reference. Um, the 49ers, so this is the teams the Bears have played so far. 49ers only blitz 7.3% of the time. Texans blitzed 22.6% of the time. The Packers blitzed 27.7. The Giants right now in their three games have blitzed 44.1% of the time. They like to send the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fields when blitzed. 28.2 passing grade, 11.8 turnover where they play percentage, 40% pressure to sack, 37.8 passer rating. Yeah, I mean, it's not what you want to see. But at the end of the day, like, I think it really is kind of like our offensive line's got to step up. And, like, yeah, you can blitz, but, like, as long as he's got like three seconds to get the ball off, yeah. that's something. You Which know? they're giving him. So, use yeah, that. they've been good. I've, yeah. I've been very impressed with the offensive line. They yeah. were the thing coming into the season that everyone's like, the receivers in the offensive line, oh my God, oh my God. And like, to, be, to their credit, they've been not bad, yeah. which is something that I didn't think a lot of people were, were thinking about them. Yeah. So. And I honestly, I think I said in the offseason, I wasn't worried about their offensive line as much. I, I was confident that. Especially when they made the switch to everything. When it finally settled and it was like Braxton Jones. Granted, we're still waiting for Lucas Patrick to come back and get play center again. Once that happens, I think it'll even take another step up. Right now, the passing, the pass blocking for the line isn't great. It's not the worst. It's not awesome. Their run blocking is incredible. Um, but or maybe I'm getting that off. No, that yeah. And the, but the one thing with their passing, their pass blocking, they are giving him time. Mm-hmm. Um. They're just also letting them get to him at yeah. certain points too fast. And that's where it is. It's like it's almost like he has four seconds to throw or no seconds to throw. And I don't know exactly what comes. I don't know if certain plays are when Tevin's in and Lucas is in or if if Sam is just not cutting it at center. I saw multiple times people get around Sam. That stuff. I didn't look at the offensive line as much this this week because I didn't feel like it was a huge factor. Um, and I just saw too many open passes being missed and I was blaming a lot on Justin and I was focused on the run game working. But when it comes to, again, when I was talking about the defenses, the Bears have allowed the third most rushing yards in the league right now. Granted, I think more than half of those were against the Packers. Um, they have, they've allowed 471 rushing yards though, so that can't happen. And I think the Packers did have like two, a little over two total. So that's still... 271 yards between the other two teams that we allowed. That just, it 
that can't happen. Yeah, you don't want that. But I will say another thing is like the Packers are a great running team, and the Niners it was played in like the worst Monsoon. weather. Monsoon, so ever. that probably but, like, skewed the numbers for and, like, sure. Like I will say, like they are a running team. Like mm-hmm. you know, like Mike McDaniel before he went over to Miami, he was like in charge of their run game, and mm-hmm. they are very much the team where it's just like guy like Raheem Moster or Jeff Wilson or Elijah Mitchell, like yeah. random guys you never heard of, end up being very good running backs. Good, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, even when you look at um, the Texans game, though, they allowed, I mean, it was almost, it was over 90 yards. Damian Pierce, I think, is going to be a very good, I think very good guy. I like so, him. But I saw at one point, I was like, Rick's Burkhead. <laughs> like, I saw that, too. It's what? Just like, but I think he only had, like, nine yards. I do, or something, I do think uh, the Texans' uh, current GM, Nick Casario, used mm-hmm. to be with the Patriots. Yeah. So that he was like, come on, Rex, yeah. come on over. Um, but, yeah, when you're talking about that, though, yeah, for the rest of the Giants are almost the same at the same place as the Bears. They have the eighth most at 415 yards. They've only allowed one rushing touchdown, though. Um, and the Bears have allowed three. But so I think this the defenses in this game are just going to be such huge factors because, like I said, between the turnovers, winning that turnover battle, and if the Bears are able to run on the Giants like they've been able to run last week, or honestly, even the whole year, it wasn't it hasn't been as crazy as last week. But David Montgomery had a really good game against the Packers. So if they've been if they'll be able to run against the Giants like they did the last two weeks at least. And win that turnover turnover battle, I think it will be a pretty game for the Bears. If not, I think it's going to be a pretty ugly game for the Bears. Yeah, it just still blows my mind. Whoever wins this game is going to be three and one. Isn't it insane? And, like neither team deserves to be three and one, but they they're going to be. So that's you are what your record is. It's it's really wild. Honestly, the wild thing too to think about is when we're talking about the Giants, the NFC East record as a whole is better than the AFC West record as a whole and the AFC West was so hyped up this whole offseason. Yeah, I mean the for my for I pretty much like the last like 5 to 10 years to for me it's been the, it's been the NFC least, you know, not yeah. the beast. It's been the least and they have I mean it's almost been laughable it every year where you're like, I mean and they don't even when you look at it as a whole right now, so the Eagles are very very good. The Eagles They're are playing the lights out football right now. Right now. Yeah. And the the Giants are 2 and 1. The uh, Cowboys keep winning and they don't even have Dak. So when they have Dak back, who even knows how good they're going to be because their defense is so good. It's like that's the de- the Dallas defense is like the kind of defenses I love to watch. Like I love our defense too, obviously. Like I think they're playing well, but Dallas is a lot of fun. Um, and then who am I saying? The, the Panthers suck. But yeah. I mean, the Commanders, they're like, they're not terrible. That's the thing. The Commanders yeah. are, and they're still, they're, they need, they, Chase Young coming back obviously is a big boost in their defense. Yeah. That helps. Um, I don't think Carson Wentz is it. That's no, the problem. I don't think anyone does. Um, so it's interesting, though, because they have – but they're all competing. Yeah. You know, like the Jags just scored 38 on the Chargers last week and then shut out the Colts the week before and lost to Washington week one. That's just what's weird about football. You know, like the the NFL season is so long, and that's why I think that when we're three weeks in, there's a lot of overreactions, and there's a lot of underreactions, honestly, because it's just – it's such a hard game – to really, like, predict this early what's going to happen. And, Too much can change. Yeah, and, like, at the end of the day, like, this is not a representation of how good these teams are at yeah. this point. I mean, like, I was, I think it was under Trestman, Trestman I want to say, when we had that season we started off 5-0 and and missed the playoffs. Yeah. You know, yeah, which yeah. is, like, just because you're good early doesn't mean you're going to yeah. be strong. Yeah. So, it's not just our record might not necessarily reflect how good we are, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't get better. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that, I mean, the same. The Jags in 2017 obviously had one, their that AFC championship run. The next year they started 3-1, and one, and then I think they lost like eight or nine straight. 
Like yeah. it, 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 it turns that fast. It does. All it had takes, and it wasn't like some crazy injuries or anything like that. It just it stopped clicking. Teams started figuring things out, and a lot of times I think that's what happens is these quarterbacks or a running back or wide receiver really gets on a run and they're doing really well, and then now there's tape on those guys, and defenses are seeing it and defenses are figuring it out, or vice versa. There's like a defensive player that's really good and people don't know because he's young or he's having a breakout season, and then now the next few games people are like, well, we're just not going to throw to him. You know, yeah. they're not going to throw at him. And honestly, to tie everything all back together, like I think that's a great example of the show of like what Khalil can do this week because mm-hmm. last week he made himself known. The Giants yeah. are very much going to be talking Watching about Watching tape him. on Khalil now. Yeah, they're going to talk about him in the scouting report, and it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, and that's a big test for Khalil. You know, like we've seen what Montgomery's been able to do with that. We've seen Montgomery be able to instill – go uh, perform when there's tape on him and guys are looking out for him. And now this is Khalil, one of his first real tests of what is, is he going to be able to be the last week Khalil or even close. I'm not even asking for 160 yards. I'll take <laughs> like, like 80 yards on like 10 carries, 15 sure. carries. Like, Give us a couple touchdowns though, Khalil, because we'll need it from you. We'll need it from him because I don't trust our offense to be able to pass for one. Um, and when we line up on shotgun and let Justin run it in, but he's, he would do it again. It's the right call. <laughs> All right. Well, that is uh, our episode of Making Monsters. This was Khalil Herbert episode. Hopefully, soon we'll have some maybe some like receivers or like some good quarterback play next week. Maybe Komet. Like I want to talk about Komet. I want, but I have a feeling it'll end up being a defensive player again this week. I just have a strong feeling, Um, which is fine. We have a lot of fun guys to talk about out there. The secondary. We haven't had a a secondary guy yet, and they've actually been. Playing well. Jalen Johnson obviously missed last week. We didn't even talk about that. Kyle Vilder, I've talked so much trash about him. and He, he held in his really own. well. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He held his own. Um, Kyler Gordon stepped up. It wasn't perfect, but it was an improvement was from enough. the week before. Uh, granted, you're going from the Packers also to that. But also, Packers receivers suck, so I don't even excuse him from that game. Um, but Jaquan is just good. Yeah. I mean, Jaquan he's, he's, he's playing been... Has had not one had not had one bad game yet. I think I saw he's only allowed thirty seven total yards in three games. Yeah, I I'm excited to do our episode on him because we kind of already did like a mini one to start mm-hmm. the season before we everything got going. But like I really want to get more in depth with him because right. he is a fun player to watch. Well, so maybe next week we'll have a secondary episode. We'll see. Um, but anyways, that is uh, making monsters. Remember to go listen to the Bears over beers too if you have not. A lot of good um, stuff there. Yeah, like I said. All the episodes so far have been really fun. This one to really go in and see what Khalil Herbert was able to do was just fantastic. And um, then also Jeff breaks down Braxton Jones. So that's fun, too, because Braxton actually has been low-key playing very well at left tackle. Um, There's some mistakes there. He's young. You're expecting that. So Jeff gets into kind of all that stuff. So if you want to listen to either of those, obviously that's on the Windy City Gridiron um, page and the second city gridiron, I think is what it's called. Sorry, guys, if you're mad at me for that. Um, But that's on the YouTube page for them. Uh, so go listen to that. It goes through the all 22 for both of those guys. And then obviously all of our other podcasts, if you've missed any on Dominique Robinson or Travis Gibson, those were our first two guys. Uh, they are up on Windy City Gridiron. We're making monsters. I'm Taylor Dahl. That's Dylan Ryan. See you next week. <laughs>